0: G'day everyone, welcome to Did You Know With Watto. I'm Watto, and in today's episode I chat with Lynn Hamilton about some things that maybe you didn't know. For more episodes, you can check out my YouTube channel or the podcast app and follow my social media at Lindsay Waddington Music. Hope you enjoy. G'day, it's Lindsay Waddington here. And for everyone around the world, we've got a very special guest today. Uh, This lady was a big part of my life growing up. I used to watch her sing on TV on one of my favourite TV shows every week. Would you welcome the legendary Lynn Hamilton? How are you, Lynn? I'm oh,
1: good. Yeah. I'm oh, good. How are you?
0: I'm um, well. Thank you. It's great to have you around here in a part of our podcast series.
1: Yeah, it's exciting.
0: We don't live too far apart. No,
1: we don't. No, Sandy.
0: Oh, I'm a big fan of yours, mate. You want to watch it? I'll be there <laughs> down at your door knocking on it for smoker. and <laughs> oh, oh, it's great. Thank you. Now we'll go straight there and get that over and done yep. with because there's always more to people than they than the public see.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so you have had a world hit like it's one of my favourite songs ever, mm-hmm. and I'm very blessed to know the bloke who wrote it to Alan Caswell, which you do obviously. Yeah,
1: great guy.
0: And it was a, it was a life changing experience for you, wasn't it?
1: It was. Yeah. Do you want to know about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, at the time. I was um, going through divorce, yeah. trying to raise two kids by myself and wondering what to do with my life. I was in my late 20s. And, um, you know, just it's, it's a precarious place to be in when you sort of don't know the future. Yeah. But um, I had come out to Australia from England in 1971, having been five years, like the second half of the 60s, um, in a famous duo, girl duo called the Caravels. Yeah. So I'd been like a, a pop star, mm-hmm. for want of be a better term, um, but retired from it. Like oh, you d- you were out of it. Yeah. Oh. I, yeah, because I I'd, I'd gone in there at age sixteen. Yeah. And then when I was twenty-one, um, I had gotten married. I didn't want to continue. I'd done. I'd achieved all my dreams. Yeah. At that young age. And so I got, got myself, what, will I, what can I do for the rest of my life? I know, I'll get married. <laughs> <laughs> That's all there is left to do. So I got married and um, got pregnant fairly quickly and came out here with my hus- ex-husband um, in 71, wanting nothing ever to do with the music industry. Again, I had it out of my system. But then seven or eight years later, going through divorce, Mm. And I'm like well what do I do all I, I never had a proper job like a normal job yeah 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 um, so all I knew how to do was sing and um, I so I was thinking you know what could I do um, about that I didn't know anybody in Australia and I don't think anybody knew me um, anyway I had had um, just to give you a little bit of background I had had an encounter with Jesus Christ yeah. And so that, my life was already radically transformed by that. Mm-hmm. And that was a fairly new thing that had happened. And so I had this new zest for life and a new sense of there must be a purpose for it. What will it be? And um, in, um, when I was praying one day, I felt like God said to me, give me your voice. And so I remember laughing at him and saying, you know, you do realise how old I am. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I'm over the hill, I've got these two kids, like, you know, it's, it's a, you're a bit late, God. Yeah. Um, anyway, the upshot of that was I said, okay, if you can find something to, you know, to do for me, I, I, I want to help you save the world. So yeah. uh, so basically he gave me that song, that's how it came about. Incredible. Um, and like I said, I didn't know anybody. So I just was led to do like a demo. Um, and I shopped it round by myself. I shopped it round a record label mm. and I ended up with um, a deal with RCA. And at the Christmas party at, at RCA in 1978, I was sort of sitting on my own in the corner there and the um, Reg Grundy um, organization execs were there and came over to me and said they knew I was like the newest sign for RCA. So they said, um, can you sing a ballad, love? <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, I think I can manage that. So they literally gave me a cassette tape and said, learn this overnight and come in the studio tomorrow morning and you can meet the guy who wrote the song and we'll, we'll demo it. Wow. Um, because there's a series coming out called Prisoner and um, it needs to be, obviously it's a woman's song. Yeah. Um, and But the criteria is that we need to have somebody who's completely unheard of because we don't want the song to be bigger than the series. So um, – but they said it's just to play over the credits at the end and um, – and I went, yeah, I was, you know.
0: Well, you buggered that up. The song got pretty big.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, well, see, it was never meant to be a single in the first place.
0: Oh, well, it was so it was just for just, the TV for the show? the credits.
1: Oh, no. And, yeah. and they said, this is the fee we'll pay you, which I won't mention how much it was. No. But my son, one of my little kids, needed a bike.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like a push bike? Yeah,
1: <laughs> to get to school. Oh, really? And I said, okay, I'll do the song and, you know, for the price of the bike. Um, so, so that's what happened. But when they heard it, and I met Al, Alan, the next morning, and um, anyway, I knew when I heard the song. I took it home that night, and I listened to it, and just completely broke down. And, oh and yeah, it's amazing. I'm like, and I knew God said, "I'm giving you this. This is this is for you. This is me." So I said, "Okay." So recorded it. When they heard it, they loved it, and they said right, this is much more This is more than just over the credits now. Like, this mm. needs to be a single. And um, I'd given God the ultimate challenge, I mean, because I so didn't want to be back in the music business. I was, had, oh, it, out still, of, still I had it out of my system. I just yeah. didn't know anything else. Yeah. And because he'd say, give me your voice, I'm like, okay. Yeah. So, but nothing in me wanted anything to do with anything.
0: If you do one of my songs now, if I buy your son a push bike, <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it could be a deal. They said, so you might want a Harley these days. Oh, yeah, that'd be right. <laughs> so, yeah, so anyway, I, I said to God, well, look, if this is you, like I don't want to be in this business, but if this is you, I'll do it for you. Um, but it has to go to the top of the charts. Like, I give him this impossible challenge. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what it did. They released it and it just raced up the charts and went gold and won the ARIA. Yeah. Uh, went gold quicker than any recording ever by a female artist at that time. And there
0: were some big names and big yeah. bands back in those days. Yeah,
1: so it was massive. So I'm like, okay, well, now what? I'm sitting at the <laughs> top of the charts. Now what? Yeah. Well, now you're going to do concerts and performances and all that and and you're going to talk about me because yes. because the song is about being in prison. Yeah. And so I incorporated that into... a a gospel message, which was Jesus came to set the captives free. So it was a tool, Yeah, it was a great selling point for for that. So I went into the clubs and the concerts and got away with preaching like the fastest gospel in the West, (laughs) (laughs) a minute and (laughs) a half. Because you can't just put that on people in the clubs; it's not fair, you know. Yeah. But anyway, but I, but I did, and so
0: you're very sneaky with it. You just yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because I'd say, look, this song's about being in prison, and are you in? Do you feel like you're in prison tonight? And I'd be challenging the audience, like, what's depression? What's depression? You know, if not, um, uh, like a a prison sentence. What's Mm. debt? What's um, you know? Um, gambling and what's, all sorts of prisons you can put yourself in or other people can put you in. Mm. Um, and if you need to get free, my friend Jesus. <laughs> yeah. and, that, and that's what I did with the song and um, got away with it for years and led hundreds and hundreds of people to, to Jesus. So I was happy to be in the business with that message
0: so you had a different purpose sort of thing than just being a a rock star sort of thing because it
1: held no attraction to me i had done it all as a teenager as a kid
0: now getting back to that too lynn we'll come back to that but going back to when you were a teenager like we've had an amazing conversation like uh, how you know names you talk about who you you were associated with some people might be going oh big noted but that was just your life like it's like me talking about the local gardener down the corner yeah but one story that always sticks in my mind, and this is just so cool, the real Jimi Hendrix, <laughs> like the real Jimi yeah, Hendrix,
1: yeah.
0: wanted to marry you.
1: Yeah. How he, cool. He was off his face at the time. Who cares? Did he proposed. <laughs> <laughs> I would have married him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that was interesting. That um, When I was 16, I joined a, a group, a two-girl group called The caravelle Yes, yes. And um, the first label that we were signed I was signed to with them was then called Polydor, which turned into Polygram, eventually, oh, Records. Okay, yeah. But it was in London. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was Polydor Records and their other two big artists were the, the, the Bee Gees.
0: Oh, no way. The
1: Bee Gees and Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> and the label was owned by Robert Stigwood. Yeah. And so and, and ours, we were with the same label. So what they used to do back then, like a thousand years ago, was they <laughs> they'd release songs by all their artists kind of at the same time, and then they'd put a show on the road and feature them all showcase oh, yeah. yep. all in. So we went to um, Jimi Hendrix was the biggest thing in the world at the time, like and, and he was doing a special in Munich. And we went over to Munich and, seriously, anybody who was anybody was there at this thing. And we filmed for, like, a week. Um, And, of course, he was the star of everything, if they could get him out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) But, no, seriously, cream, the stones, you know... Every, everybody, and the like, faces, Rod Stewart, Tom. For everybody Jones. out there,
0: you got to hang with them and meet yeah. them and all that. Lynn? Well,
1: there was only there was there was only three girls. Yeah. Um, featured in the show, so you one, would have been very popular. One was my partner, who was married to our manager, who was with us. Yeah. The other one was Mama Cass Elliot. Oh, crikey! <laughs> <Friday. laughs> what a and, show and me and you so there's only three so for all these guys like that were us all off and jimmy liked blondes yeah and so he insisted and being the star of the show he insisted i sit next to him <laughs> <laughs> at all the meals <laughs> I love it, so we would have these deep conversations, you know, and um anyway, he was a fascinating guy, but he scared me. <laughs> he was <laughs> his presence, you know all that hair and you know the, the one thing I regret though he he wanted to because he he has minders, you know, he has these minders yeah. that um help him get in and out of lifts <laughs> stuff. Yeah. so. He had set his minders to me, like I, I, I want her, um, like I want her in my room. And I'm like, That's not happening, <laughs> you know. And my manager was very protective because my dad, who uh, was a bricklayer, had oh. had said to my manager, "If anything happens to her, I'll,
0: I'll build a nice tombstone." I will
1: kill you. <laughs> so I was very protected, and you know all that. But Jimmy was, like, no, I'm having you. And I'm like, I don't think so, buddy. Um, anyway, he said to me, this this is the proposal, he said to me this night, um, what do I have to do? And I'm like, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing <laughs> that's going to make this happen. I was like 17, yeah, yeah, 18 yeah. or something. And uh, anyway, I don't know if you've ever seen um, posters of him back in the day, but he used to wear these big rings. And yeah. like turquoise, and yeah, and, yeah. and this massive turquoise ring that was like something to behold, and he's given me this ring. Really? And he said, "Will you marry me?" And I've sort of said, and he was off his face, <laughs> and I have said, "Don't, don't be daft. <laughs> no, not. of course I'm not going to marry you, but I should have taken the ring. Oh, yeah, you should have taken the ring. Should have taken the ring. Well, it's one, one regret. Because uh, a, a few months later, it was dead.
0: And uh, and that's sad in itself. Yeah." And from, yeah. like, you would know you were there and saw it firsthand, but from us, uh, like, watching it from afar, yeah. it would have been a very fast life. Yeah. It was like, like, it, on stage he was very, like, just full on, Yeah, you know.
1: He was in the burning the guitar on stage era. Yeah. It became a thing. Like, he did it once and then Everyone it wanted was to see required it. of him after that, so... Yeah. You get into quite a frenzy and burn the guitar and yeah.
0: yeah. Now you've like we'll keep going from there. Now you've had a couple of huge opportunities like that to potentially have megastar partners or husbands mm. like <laughs> did, did Paul McCartney <laughs> did he <laughs> did he sort of ask you to go away on a weekend or something?
1: Um Yeah, what happened was...
0: From the Beatles, like the real Paul McCartney.
1: We moved on from Polydor Records. Yes. And the Beatles had a record label at the time called Apple. And they had um, two artists. They had Mary Hopkins Mm -hmm. and a band called Badfinger. And they were going to sign us. And we went down to London to literally sign the contract... And we were there for a week in London. And we were at the Apple offices and all that. And um, they had a boutique in Carnaby Street at the time. John was with Yoko, and that was very controversial. And we, had lunch, we went to lunch. And um, it ended up with just him and me ha- having lunch. Um, and he <laughs> said to me, um, why don't you stay down? Like, because we lived in the north of England, and this was in London. Why don't, you, why don't you stay down for a few days and like hang out with me? And I'm like, I think I could <laughs> <laughs> I think manage to do that. I'd actually never had a boyfriend. Yeah. I was surrounded by all these mega stars, and I was not allowed to date because the manager was like scared of my dad. Oh, so I love it. So I wasn't allowed to date. So I said. Yeah, you know, um, I think you could be the first boyfriend and hopefully the last. Um, anyway, the, my manager stepped in and said, there's no way, buddy. There's oh, no I hope
0: you're sacked in. There's <laughs> no way.
1: There's no way that's happening. So I wasn't allowed to. But funnily enough, the the next day um, was when their whole empire collapsed. Uh, I don't know if you recall any of that, but no. you, well, you weren't really born even. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, the whole thing was exposed and collapsed and suddenly we weren't signing any contract because they were going into liquidation and, you know. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's uh, when that whole thing happened, that week. So we actually never did sign with them. And um, shortly after that, Paul McCartney um, married Linda Eastman. Okay. Yeah. So, but for... a For about three months there, he was, like, the most eligible bachelor in England and he wanted me to stay with him and I wasn't allowed. (laughs) No opportunity to be naughty, hey. (laughs) Oh, gee.
0: What a story, though. Like, you must pinch yourself sometimes, like, and it would be, like, I could be wrong, but you tell the stories in in some um, public areas and do you get that feeling that people are looking at you going, Yeah. yeah, right.
1: yeah. Your name dropping. Well Well
0: like yeah, right. It's like yeah, Paul like they are that's huge. Yeah, I know. They were they're mega well, their music is still huge yeah, now. Yeah. But um that's a really that's a really cool thing. So from a young age, did you dream of being a pop star? Yeah. Or or just become you did.
1: I dreamt of getting out of my town that I grew up in. Oh, did you? <laughs> and I thought what's the quickest way I could get out of this place. Yeah. Um no, I'm from the north of England, very working class and um, people aren't really very ambitious, like nobody gets out of the town where I was born. Yeah. Um, but I uh, I went to grammar, grammar school, convent school, and by the time I was 13, it was the early 60s, mm-hmm. and there were people like um, Cilla Black and Dusty Springfield and Lulu and all these, all these artists um, on a, a pop show called Top of the Pops. Mm-hmm. And when I first saw Top of the Pops... Something just triggered in me, like, oh. I want to be that. You're going to be that, and you're going to travel the world, and you're going to sing. Yeah. Um And I used to sing. My job every night was doing the dishes after dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to be in the kitchen washing the dishes with the windows open. I'd be singing away with, like, the Supremes and Martha and the Vandellas and all these types of people. Mm. And the neighbours would, like, be saying to my mum, you know, she's got something. She's... We can hear her, we hear her every night, like, Hmm. um, you should let let her sing. And so I realised I wasn't going to be a nun, I (laughs) I considered that for about five minutes and went, nah, no way. Uh, And then thought, no, I need to do music, but I didn't know how to go about it. So I had a rock band when I was 14, for a couple of years, and then I left school at the earliest opportunity, which was 16. And um, I answered an ad in the paper, would you believe, for a singer for an already established um, recording act, which was the Caravels, And um, they'd had a couple of hits already. Um, There was a brunette and a blonde one, and the blonde one was leaving and they wanted someone to replace her. And they had a very unique sound. It's kind of like folksy jazz, very bit like Simon and Garfunkel, velvety, whispery smooth, Uh, they had a unique sound and so they had to keep that sound so when I went for the audition I had to be able to sound like the the other girl who was leaving Hmm. and I managed to sound like her, Um, so the only thing was I had black hair so they said will you be willing to go blah.
0: You sure I'm Jimmy like, didn't ask him? I'm do that?
1: Like, <laughs> I'll go green, purple. What? Just get me what, there. You just put me on the telly. I just mm. need to sing. So, yeah. So, so I joined them at age 16.
0: Who were some of the early influences then? Like you talk about singing along to tapes and that with the Supremes and yeah, were they big? In, or like who would have been some of the? Oh, I've got to do that, and I want to be like them. Was there people, or now you just want to be like yourself? Yeah,
1: Silla Black, Dusty Springfield, yeah. Lulu. Yeah. I hated Lulu because she was she was two years older than me and didn't have to go to school yeah. so she could be. You knew them all? Uh, no. No. Uh, this was yeah, just who yeah, I admired. Yeah, admired, yeah. And um, I used to watch Lulu and think, oh, you know, you get to do what I want to do and I've got to flip and go to school yeah, for another yeah. two years, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, I admired Lulu and um, just all the Dusty Springfield, um, trying to think who else at the time. Yeah, Dionne Warwick, you know, these types of people. Do you
0: remember the first song that you heard and you're like, I want to be a singer? Can you remember that or?
1: Yeah. It was um, Dancing in the Street by Martha and the Vandellas.
0: Really? Yeah. What a great song.
1: Yeah, and I used to sing it, um, I would sing it in my band. Yeah? Yeah. Straight up. Yeah, Yeah. there's nothing like the Prisoner Song. No, it's not. Yeah, but I used to sing that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, then I heard, yeah, that was probably it. Yeah. Um, The Ronettes, the Crystals, those sorts of, you know, black girl groups. Yep, yep. With the big sound. little soul and feeling and emotion. Yeah. 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 Well,
0: thinking of that, then to do something like uh, the Prisoner theme, like on the inside, Mm. it wouldn't have been so strange to get that inner self to, to sell that lyric then because... Mm. All those soul singers and that, that's what they did. Yeah. They believed in the lyric and they sold it. Yeah. So that's probably why that was so successful too. And
1: oh, the first line of the song when I heard, took it home, got home about midnight yeah. and um, had one of those little things where you press the buttons, you know, the recording things mm. for the cassette tape and the first line, he used to give me roses. I wish he could again. So I was done
0: because
1: mm. I was going through divorce. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs>
0: Could you imagine someone walking in with a box of chocolates just as they said that? <laughs> he used to give me roses.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Maybe not. So, yeah, so I knew and my when I actually recorded it, it, my voice broke in just the right place. Yeah. Like I wasn't trying to do it on purpose. It just happened. It was just a feeling of it and there's a lot of emotion in it. So, Yeah. yeah. With, and ga-
0: going back to all that, I know we're jumping around here, but you've had such a colourful life and we want to go to the next step very soon. But, you know, all these big stars and, like, they're people that I grew up, you're watching them on TV, like I'm a cane farmer's son from Proserpine in North right. Queensland. So even sitting here talking to you is like, I could never have dreamt of that. I've had people say, what you're doing, a must be a dream come true. I'm like, I couldn't have dreamt any of this. It's just yeah. so amazing, this life I, I live and... But on another level, like these people, they're megastars who you're talking that you hung yeah. around toured with, and that. Did it feel like that, Lynn? or No, it was just what we did. You're just, we're just all buddies, and we travel around doing shows. Or did you feel the greatness of what you're doing?
1: Well, the the ones that we worked with were pretty. It was the, remember, it was the late second half of the '60s. Hmm. So there was all, there was a lot of drugs. Yeah. And so we, it was one thing to do TV shows with these people, um, but socially I wasn't really allowed to mix with them. Yes. I would have got up to all sorts of yep. stuff probably. Yeah, I was yep. just a kid. Yeah. So I was protected from the lifestyle, mm. you know. Um, but yeah, pretty, um, pretty in- intimidating. You mm. know, I remember, remember meeting Tom Jones for the first time and, um, you know, Cliff Richard. When I I met Cliff Richard, because you know Cliff's a Christian, Hmm. and when I think back, like I wasn't a Christian back then, um, and I I remember at the Munich thing, um, one night they hired a a club then they shut it down to the public so that all of us could have it for the night. Safe, yeah. 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 And it had a big fountain, and I'm not going into too much detail, but it had this big fountain. (laughs) (laughs) And various people were jumping in. (laughs) in and out of the fountain, you know, like naked and stuff like that. And there was every kind of drug on the table, every kind of colour of pill you could imagine and powders and all sorts of things. And I remember looking at Cliff Richard and he was sitting over in the corner (laughs) with his (laughs) manager (laughs) away from everybody. And I remember thinking, what's his problem? He's not socialising, you know. But then I looked at what was going on in the room and thought, no, no. Eight, you yeah. know, and then my manager's like, Come on, girls, we're going home now. <laughs> oh, wow. But yeah.
0: Didn't have a go at the fountain?
1: No, no, no you I didn't. It wasn't a game to go near <laughs> near the fountain because of who else was in it. Really? Um, but yeah, so there was, mad, there was a lot of mad, wild parties and stuff like that. And so, with, with meeting some of them, was I was very impressed mm-hmm. to meet them. Mm-hmm. Um, others, there was a couple of people who I had idolized before I'd when I was a young, like 13, 14. When I met them in person, I was like, oh, well, that's underwhelming. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've <laughs> yeah, heard of a that. The real yeah. disappointment, you know, yeah. and a um, couple of my real heroes, you yeah. know, and I'm like, oh, dear, that's not, that's <laughs> not, not good. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah.
0: so going on to that, so did you ever have dreams of being an actress or anything like that or no? It was always in the, the singing part or...?
1: I can't, I can't act to save my life I, seriously
0: <laughs> yeah. I
1: get I was offered a part um not in prisoner yeah um but in another thing that was coming up and um my agent said well, why don't you try to you know try to do some action I'll go for a, a reading thing <laughs> it' was terrible because I can't pretend It like, yeah, is what it is. I can't pretend anything yeah. you know yeah. and I can't read from a script, like, yeah. forget it, no.
0: Okay, well, that's interesting. Well, we'll go on to the next stage. Now, another thing which I've been lucky enough to have uh, other conversations with that uh, camera going, Lynn. so you found a different calling, um, well, many years ago now. Yeah. And uh, still bringing joy to people's lives. Yeah. But in a different way. Would yeah. Would you like to tell a few people about that?
1: Yeah, well, because of my... the the. the on the inside, the Prisoner Hit mm-hmm. was, I said before, God gave that to me. So I already was a Christian and using that song mm-hmm. um, to bust people out of emotional prisons and, yeah, you know, yeah. psychological madness and all sorts of stuff. Um, and that went on from that. For, I did the clubs for years and then I started doing churches and then I got concerned about the well-being of people. I love people. Yeah. I believe in people. And I, because I got my dream when I was a kid, I like to see other people get their dreams. And there's usually all sorts of hindrances and stumbling blocks in their life that hold them back from doing that. So I wanted to work with people to realise their potential um, and to come into to, so they would know how to identify uh, what they were made of you know, um, and become their authentic self and serve life in who they were created to be. And most people never achieve that. They live frustrated lives, um, miserable. And, I mean, they might cope, but they're not really living. And like I was saying before, there has to be life before death as well as after death. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't see too many people living life. Yeah, you know, and so uh, when Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, I'm like, well, he wants us to live, you know, he paid a big price for mm. us to, to live. Yeah, so how do we get to that? Well, so I like to, um, I had a church for 25 years mm-hmm. until a couple of years ago, and
0: you're a working pastor in it yeah. yourself, yeah. yeah,
1: 25 that's a long time, yeah, it was a training base, I taught schools. And, it, like, we had 14 countries that we ministered into. I would send teams into all those countries. And it was a full-on big work. Um, and I've come out of that now, been out of that a couple of years, but I like to develop people. So I guess some sort of spiritual life coaching and developing people, mm. um, bringing them into a sense of who they are and helping them to come into that and trying to help give them a platform where they can show that to the world so basically that's what i'm doing these days
0: that's so fulfilling and you've had uh, we were talking you've had churches all around the world yeah you've traveled all around the world and it hasn't all been just the glamour spots like you don't say i'm going to have one at las vegas or i'm going to have one you go to the third world countries and and spread the word and the message yeah and you were saying that um, you've got orphans and people walk for days yeah. to get to your, your seminars yeah. and that?
1: Yeah, if there's a crusade on, usually somebody puts a big massive tent up in the middle of a field. Yeah. Um, and they'll walk, they'll walk for miles just with a straw mat under their arm and they'll sleep in the field, you know. Um, some of the bigger ministries, like the really famous ones, they will go to third world countries, but they'll go to the capital cities where you can still stay at the Hilton and the you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. They're like deliver me into the Hilton, please? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I've never had that luxury to do that. Like, we stayed in the mud huts with the, the village latrines. You had you a local know. bloke
0: called Hilton carrying <laughs> your bag,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you know, where the people are, yes. Um, and um. Yeah, so it's been very, uh, it's only for the brave. Yeah. And you'd you'd really, if you weren't called to it, you just couldn't do it, put it like, not as a woman anyway.
0: Did you have any, like, I know you don't have to answer this, but did you have any moments when, like, very sketchy? Like, you're like, oh, I might not get home? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. because a a lot of, um, there are other religions in these places. (laughs) Hmm. That are violent, and they hate Christians. Mm. So if they can get a machete and hack at a Christian preacher, they will. Wow! So your life is in danger from, as it were, strangers in the crowd mm. that have come. They've literally come to kill you if they can. So you you really need supernatural protection and. If God sends you, then you're very aware of that, you know. Hmm. Or they'll, they'll want to steal your, your purse, you know, they'll... Um, they'll what want you possibly to could be yeah. bringing, yeah. Yeah, I remember being in, Lake, in Lagos, and um, the roads are just like traffic jams there. And we'd been given a, a car, the car that picked me up, which was about eight miles away from the venue where we were doing the gig, and this car had automatic windows. It was an old jalopy, really, but it had automatic windows that was stuck in the down position, right? So it couldn't mm, put the window yeah. up. So we're driving down the street, and like every few hundred meters, the car's stopping. And you've got these mad people like, like ants all over the streets with knives and guns, and it's completely lawless and you know, blonde. Mm. You know, and, and they could just reach in the window and slice your throat if they wanted really? to. Um, so that those trips to the gig <laughs> were quite dodgy mm. and you really needed to know that, you know, you had...
0: Well, that was a, as a pastor. Let's jump back to your other life, which is right. on another way. Did you ever feel like, you know, you see things in movies and all that, the paparazzi in that as a rock star, as a pop star... Did you ever feel unsafe in that environment, or now it was all pretty, no, it
1: pretty, was pretty looked after? It was. it was still pretty respectful Yeah. back then. I mean, these people had to have appointments to even talk to you, okay. and they had to have permission to take your photo, stuff like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you couldn't just snap around it, you know. Hmm. Um, so it was still quite formal and polite. Hmm. So, no, I always felt quite safe.
0: Yeah, so, oh, that's that. really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because you see in all the Hollywood movies and that and it's the paparazzi and, yeah, you know, like it's all the, oh, well, we know there's been some yeah. tragedies come out of it. Um, but, yeah, and no, I was just interested because you were yeah. there in the middle
1: of it all. Yeah. No, I never encountered that. But there was a funny thing that happened, that I'll tell you if I've got a minute. Yeah. With um, Joanna Lumley from um, Absolutely Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> she was a model at the the, the same time yep. that we were, and we had the same um, PR company. So we were around one another, and she, she's she's, gorgeous. she's a gorgeous-looking lady. And uh, anyway, we had the same photographer, and I won't say the guy's name, but he was photographer to the stars and royalty and all sorts of things. And uh, he used to say... Remember, I was just a kid. Yeah. So uh, he, he's wanting us to look sexy and all that. I didn't know how to look sexy, so he, he would say, he would say, say Thursday, right? You had to say say Thursday. So I'm like, oh, that's weird. I didn't realize what he's doing. <laughs> Thursday. So, anyways, it was so. so Coming back to recent years, right, so that was just a weird experience with a photographer and a weirdo, <laughs> Thursday. So the, the Ab Fab movie that came out a few years ago, there's yeah. this scene where the paparazzi are chasing them.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, they're on the run and they get home and they get it through the gate into the front door and they bust in the front door to, to get home, the two of them, yeah. and Joanne Lumley turns around At the door and puts her arms in the doorway and faces the paparazzi and goes, Thursday. (laughs) So that's where they come from. I had somebody, now that would mean (laughs) nothing to the audience in the theatre. That would mean nothing to them. Like, why is she saying Thursday? But I had told my ex husband, who was with me, about that thing with the Thursday (laughs) and, you know, talking about people believing you or not. And he said, you said, that he, you said that he did that thing. And I'm like, there's the proof. It's Here straight is. there. Thursday. Oh, I love so it. So lovely, yeah.
0: I, I might try it and see if it's sexy. So
1: <laughs>
0: Thursday.
1: <laughs> was it? <No>. Close?
0: <laughs> well, I've got to say, Lynn, it's been a real privilege. I, It would have been, what, two years ago now I had the pleasure of being at a, a private function and I was playing guitar there. And uh, you got up and sang on the inside and that. Yeah. I didn't think that could have got any better. But now to sit and have a chat with <laughs> you on the podcast here,
1: yeah.
0: it's been amazing. Like um, I've, I've loved your story. I've loved to have a chat with you and I hope we have a lot more chats down the track. Yeah. and uh, There's
1: a book full of them.
0: Uh, it's, it's just really <laughs> good. We might even do this again if, if we're lucky yeah. enough, you might agree.
1: Yeah.
0: In the near future, for Lynn Hamilton, what do you reckon is going to be on the cards?
1: Oh, it's hard to say. I don't really know. Um, What I'm supposed to do is do less, but it needs to be, you know, less is more. Yep. So um, because of my age now, Hmm. I have like lower energy levels and I can't sort of do a lot.
0: Yeah, I'm sort of going through that at the moment.
1: What I do do, I'm like, (laughs) I don't know how long I've got left on the earth and I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but. The next 10 years really matters what I do and I can't be wasting it, mm-hmm. right? So I need to be really selective about what I'm doing and with who mm-hmm. and make sure that I'm not wasting time with projects that are just going to be dead-end projects. So
0: They've got to do something.
1: I want to work with people who want to become what they were predestined to be That's and lovely. who will work with that. So I think the mentoring thing is going to carry on and the life coach thing.
0: On the other side, you reckon there'll be any singing for all your fans down the track or
1: never know? yeah, I I can't see myself doing it again as a career. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'll know, like, if I get invited Mm -hmm. to do certain things, I'll immediately throw the question upwards, do you want me to do this? If he says yes, I'll do it. If yeah. not, I'm not I've got no ambition for it.
0: Yeah, do you interesting. know what I mean? Actually before we sign off, that's another thing. I was very interested to see like once again, people have to understand you're like this pop superstar and you hang around yeah. with all the we should have talked about the Bee Gees too. They're one of my favorites as yeah. well. Yeah. I love their music. But anyway, um you sort of walked away from all that just to go into another calling. Yeah. But I was talking to you about that and you said I would just as been happy to be a backup singer. Yeah, as much as being the person at the front microphone. Yeah, that that's that intrigues me because usually, like I've been in bands all my life. Doesn't matter how big or popular yeah. or whatever. Usually, a front person becomes a front person because yeah. they're meant to be a front person. That's where they want to be. Yeah, but. Very rarely you see somebody that's the front person next to me they say, I actually would have been, liked to be over there with the, <laughs> you know, the backup singers. I
1: think I just, I love backing vocals. And for me, I've always done my own backing vocals when I've recorded. Mm-hmm. I love the layering of the harmonies and, you know, I, I love that. because it's creative. Yes. Um, so... I'm not saying I would prefer it, but I love it. It's something As I my, love. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I have friends who've recorded albums and I've and I've gone, let me sing the backup. Oh, it. You know, and they're like, would you? Why would you do that? Well, yeah, because you're my mate and so I, good. I think it would work well. So, yeah, I, I love the studio thing with the trying things,
0: hmm. you know,
1: with backing vocals. And um I can do backing vocals and not sound like me. Yeah, where well. it's, it's bizarre. Um, so it's just it's just a little thing that you know I, I like to do.
0: I was actually sort of looking into the future for you for um, maybe the next twelve months. I can I can probably see you doing um, a song that I've written
1: mm.
0: and making it famous in thirty countries. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon?
1: Why not? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll sign that up there. Why not?
1: Do you have a big blue turquoise ring? <laughs> I like will get one. Put down as a deposit. I'll big fuzzy hair. <laughs> oh
0: mate, yeah, it, it's been a wonderful life. Uh, really proud to have an association with you, Lynn. Thank you very much for coming along and oh, sharing your story to the world. Really, and it's um, yeah. I hope they find it as interesting as I have.
1: You never know who's watching. Do
0: you? you never know who. Well, <laughs> as you're but telling you kinda me, you kind of do. You, 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 you kind of do. You yeah. kind of do. But. Yeah. Thank you, Lynn Hamilton, uh, one of our greatest treasures and one of our biggest superstars. Thanks for coming along today, Lynn.
1: My pleasure.
0: See you next time. Thanks, everyone. Hope you all enjoyed today's episode. For more episodes, you can check out my YouTube channel or the podcast app and follow my social media at Lindsay Waddington Music. See you all down the track somewhere.